0: Our sermon text this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's not the most well-known book in the Bible, so if you're having trouble finding it, if you find Psalms, take a right turn and pass through Proverbs and you'll come to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time, for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant. a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there was nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw that under the sun, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let us pray. A gracious God and our Father. There are times we open Scripture and we are at a mystery as to these words. Why is this passage in Scripture? What does it have to do with me? And yet we read that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for us, to teach us, even to rebuke us and correct us and to train us in righteousness. And you have appointed this moment this morning when each and every one of us is in this room to hear this word read and to hear it explained and to receive it in faith and humility that we would live by it. And none of us can see or could possibly know how desperately we need this word. This word that is given to us to encourage us in our walk by faith, in our love for Christ, in our contentment, in our callings before you. Help us, Father, then, in these moments, grant us your spirit, grant us your truth, all to the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. So what season is it? You answer that question depending upon where you live and what sort of things you're interested in. For some of you, the very first thing you're thinking is baseball season. For some of you, very hopefully, it's going to be football season soon. Uh, Where I was raised, the first thing people would have been asking themselves, is it fishing season, and what hunting season is it? And I have two friends who would answer, I wonder what opera season it is, but only two. Um, In Imperial County, it's harvest season for probably something, and in Southern California, it's always tourist season. My wife and I moved here years ago from Chicago. In Chicago, we say we only have two seasons. We have winter season and construction uh. season. But this is not about this sort of thing. This is about the seasons that people experience, the seasons of our lives. And there are seasons that some of you are in where you are rejoicing, and perhaps you have just left a season where you were crying. Uh, for some of us, this season of life is very busy, and I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm surrounded by people in this place where people are in retiring season of life and not as as busy as they once were. Some of you are beginning a season or about to if you're a student, and some of you are just ending a season, and some of us thought we were just ending a season only to see it's back all over again. These are the patterns and the seasons that we experience in our lives, and that's what Ecclesiastes 3 is all about. It's about time, and that's what takes up the first nine verses. And then from verse 10 through 15, time eternal. And then verses 16 through 22, that time runs out. And those are the three headings for the explanation of this text. Verses 1 through 9, time. then time eternal, verses 10 through 15, then 16 through 22, time runs out. And if you're wondering at what point am I going to be quoting the song from the birds, turn, 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 I just did. (laughs) So what is time? It's the most often used noun in the English language. And Augustine said, I know what time is until somebody asks me to explain what it is. And there he's talking about the concept of time, but that's not what this passage is about. It's about how we experience time. And Augustine talked about that as well. Time is about how we experience it. And experience tells us that time is indeed relative. Einstein is right. It's it's relative. It runs at different Speeds. If you have children, you know this is true: that when that child is sleeping and taking their nap in the middle of the afternoon, time cannot slow down enough. But when you're in the grocery store and your child is screaming in your arms and you're in line, the time slows down to an eternity. A sitting in a chair can be just a very simple task, but if that chair is in the dentist's office, time is really slowed down. But if you're watching Top Gun, Maverick, time is racing by. You can't believe the movie. Is over. Time is like that. That's the way we experience it. And in verse one, it's saying there's a time for everything. Human life is seasonal. And the preacher here, this text, the author of this text, is saying that's how we experience time. That's how we experience events in time. And in fact, there is a time for almost everything. A time to begin. A time to finish. To plant and to reap. A time to gather. A time to spread. A time to encourage. A time to discourage. A time to laugh. A time to cry a time for building up, a time for tearing down, a time for hugs, and a time for hostility. But you notice that these represent this list of these things, polar ends. And the point is we experience these polar ends and everything in between. It's not as if all of life is either laughing or crying. It's both those things, but also all of the emotions that we experience in between them. And so this list is meant to point towards the completeness of our lives and these seasons and the way in which we experience them. Such times come and go and you and I are caught in these seasons and the things in between. But the point it's making here by this poem is that these are the seasons that assault us in one sense that you and I cannot do anything about it. We kind of find ourselves in them. In other words, we're not in control of these seasons. You and I are not the author of these seasons, and we do not have a a blueprint for life so that God says, in three months, you're about to enter this season. That's not our perspective. That's not how we experience time. We can't see it that way. It's almost like it has a, a tyranny roll over us. About 10 years ago, in every single high school prom dance in the United States of America had a song by Green Day played. It went like this. Time grabs you by the wrist directs you where to go. So make the best of this test, and don't ask why. I hope you had the time of your life. And that's about right. That's, that's kind of a good summary of what's being said here, that, that these things kind of confront you. you. You can't resist these seasons of life. Now, you can live in denial. Now, going back further than 10 years, there was a song by Hooting the Blowfish called Time, one of my groups, and it said this, can you teach me about tomorrow and all the pain and the sorrow I'm running from because tomorrow is just another day, and I don't believe in time. But the point of the poem is it doesn't matter. Time believes in you. And you can't do anything about this. You need to be kind of like a farmer who accepts the fact that there are certain seasons of life. There's a season which I'm going to be plowing the ground, a season when I'm going to be sowing the seed, cultivating, pruning, and eventually harvesting. And I'm in that cycle whether I like it or not. This is fundamental to life. I'm going back even further and think of the song, uh, the fundamental things apply as time goes by. You can hear the, the voice of Julie Wilson before you produce the name from the movie Casablanca. But that's right. And so as verse 9 says, so since I'm caught in these endless seasons of life, what is there to gain from my work? Now that strikes you as a random question, but if you'd been studying this book since the first chapter, you would recognize this is a uh, question that comes up again and again and again. It's going back to the garden, that God made Adam and Eve to work. This is fundamental to who we are as people. And so this is one of the questions that comes up again and again in this book. If it's true that all things are vanity, if it's true I'm caught in these seasons of life, then what does that do to work? How do I look upon work? And here's where we need to look back at the poem and notice something about it. I want you to notice in verses two through eight that this poem has no order. There's no sequence. It doesn't go from the negative side to the positive side. It's switched up almost randomly. There's, there's no sequence to it. There's, there's no pattern that you can discern. And almost all scholars agree upon this. As you read the poem, it almost strikes you as random. That's the point. That is the point. We cannot predict these seasons, as I said earlier. You cannot control these seasons. You cannot control time. I think of that old Jim Croce song, If I Could Save Time in a Bottle. But you can't. There's, you can't squeeze in between the moments of time. There's no wrinkle in time. Unless you're Dr. Strange and you have the Time Infinity Stone. But he lost it. And so his conclusion is, as we go about our work, we do this knowing that we cannot control what comes and goes. It's kind of like The stock market and everything else, it gets caught up in the web of time. And everything is. Everything. Everything in creation is bound up with time. Well, if that's the point of verses 1 through 9, he's asking a question in verses 10 through 16. This actually, 10 through 15, this actually creates a question. Because God has placed us within this, this created order of time. It creates a problem. In fact, we could say it's a dilemma that he raises in verses 10 through 11. And here's the dilemma. On the one hand, you and I are busy with time, and we find ourselves caught up in these seasons of time, and yet we're curious about eternity. God's placed us within these seasons of time. We're concerned about time. We're obsessed with time. Everybody wears a watch on their wrist. And a lot of people were big fans of Christopher Nolan movies. This man is obsessed with time. Just think about it. Interstellar and Tenet and Dunkirk and Inception. All these movies are flirting with chronology and time. And it, it's attached to us somehow. It appeals to us because we're so fixed upon time. And so concerned about what time is it? How much time do I have left? And yet, eternity is something we think about as well. It's something we dwell Upon. We're asking ourselves, what happens after death? And here's what he says Though eternity burns in our hearts, it's hidden from our eyes. It's like we're walking through life and God has his hands right here in front of our eyes so we can't see what's behind and can't see what only he can see. We cannot see what God has designed. When is this going to end? What are you trying to accomplish? In this season, we can't see from beginning to end. As God tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, he says in Isaiah 55, verse 8. And again, it brings us back to this similar conclusion. You and I, we don't have a master plan. We can't see anything from its beginning to its end. And yet, look at verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Literally, God has made everything proper, appropriate in its time, in its season. And if you look at the list again at the poem, you say, "Beautiful? A time to kill, time to break down. A time for casting stones, a time for hate, a time for war. That's beautiful? According to whom? According to God, you and I cannot see how some of these things could possibly, in the end, be beautiful. How they could be appropriate. How all this is going to work out in God's timing. Well, there's two conclusions he reaches. The first conclusion is in verses 12 through 13. The second conclusion is in verses 14 through 15. Here's the first conclusion. Verses 12 to 13, be happy and take pleasure as long as you live. That's a gift. The days that you have, the moments God has given to you, this is a gift. And it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your hands as long as you lived. To see a good plan come together, you had your team at work, you planned it and it really was executed well, it came together, you can take pleasure in that. Managing something into success That's okay to enjoy that. You make something, construct something with your hands or paint something or design something. And it's okay to enjoy that as long as God gives you that time. And it's okay to enjoy the very simple things, to eat and to drink, to do good, to savor life in those moments God gives to you. That's okay. You should seize upon those things and enjoy them. That's one of the conclusions because that's what you see. That's what you have, what God has given to you. When Oliver Wendell Holmes reached the age of 94, he decided to learn Greek. And somebody said, why do you, does a person learn to le- learn Greek, want to learn Greek at the age of 94? And he said, well, it's now or never. <laughs> That's the right attitude. That's exactly what he's saying. But there's a second conclusion. And we've already hinted at it in verse 11. And it's the conclusion that we're, we're facing our limits. We're bumping up against the limitations of what we can see and understand. And no, as opposed to God who is unlimited, the very nature of the works of God is that they endure. They endure. That you can't add to them, you can't take away from them because they're his handiwork. And this is why people worship God. This is why they fear him, as he says. And it's the very nature of life as well, that that which is already has been, what is to be already has been. That's another refrain in this book. It's the nature of life, that nothing can break the loops of life or these seasons that we have in life, the more things change, the more they stay the same, somebody has said. Or my favorite song from Carly Simon, nothing stays the same, but it's coming around again. And that's the way we experience life. It's the way it looks to be to us. But in all of this, God does what you and I cannot do. Look at this phrase. He seeks what has been driven away. This is a beautiful phrase. This word seeks means to go and search for something that is lost, to go and get it. Gather it together. You should be thinking of a shepherd after that lost sheep. And so in the context of these verses, what it's saying is, here's the point. There's so much that you and I do not remember. Thoughts, memories that are lost. Good ideas that just seem to wander away. We can't grab them and pull them back. And there was all kinds of details that in life that strike us as insignificant and don't matter. So we just simply forget about them. But they were significant. And they're not lost to God. And by seeking them, it's saying here, God fetches each of these back home. And someday what God is going to do is he's going to corral Together, all these things that were lost to us, all these memories, all these things that faded over time, and perhaps what he will show us is the meaning of all these things that did not make sense. Pieces that struck us as random or insignificant or lost. It's again, it shows us this great contrast between the fact that we are so limited in what we see, but God is not limited in this way. Well, he concludes in verses 16 through 22. He talks about how time runs out. But first he talks about righteousness. There is a time for that right thing to happen. There are those moments when we especially need righteousness, and yet what happens is opposite of what we would expect. At that very moment when you expected righteousness, it's the moment when we're confronted by wickedness. Think of a terrible crime that has taken place. The trial has gone on for several weeks. All the evidence is clear. Everybody can see what should happen. This person is guilty. And yet the jury comes back and says, not guilty. And we're shocked by this. It seems so wrong. And what he's saying is life is filled with these moments. This is how we experience life. It's the way time is experienced by us, but there's hope. In verse 17, says, God is going to address such wrongs. He's going to judge not only righteousness, but also wickedness. And he says, for there is a time for every matter and for every work, including judgment. That gives us hope. And see, again, there were details that perhaps the jury or the judge missed. There's information that they forgot, or there's things that they dismissed as as insignificant. But God did not miss those things. God does not forget those things, and they are not lost upon him. Neither is the significance of those things lost upon him, and he will make it right one day. But until then, until then, he says, this is a test of our faith. Can we trust him for that? Even when things strike us as so absurd, can we trust him for this? And he concludes with this great silencer of death when time runs out. And it's interesting how he approaches even this issue because it's from the vantage point of how we experience things or how we see things because he says in verse 19, death does not seem to discriminate even between species. Everything that has breath eventually dies. As one dies, so dies another. There's no advantage. Dust returns to dust. That's how it seems. And judging by appearances, who knows where life goes after? Who says that animals have souls? Who knows where people go? And here again, this is the test of faith. Is this really the case? Is there really only death? Is it true we're just dust in the wind? If this is true, then we need to enjoy the time that you have, enjoy the work that you have, rejoice in it. This is your portion because he concludes in verse 22, nobody knows what follows. You and I cannot see the beginning. And we cannot see how it ends. But God does. And that's the point of this text. What we cannot see, this is what, what God sees. And even though this poem kind of falls out in this in this random sort of order and content, this is not the way it is for God. There's there's truly nothing arbitrary. And in fact, it's appropriate to say that nothing ever happens to us. Nothing ever randomly falls in our steps. Everything is directed towards us and for our good. Romans 8.28 says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know what season of life you're in right now. I don't know you. But I can say this based upon this passage, this season is not random. And that God knows, and this is most important of all, he knows better than we what is best. And my encouragement to you as a brother in Christ based upon this scripture is do not be frustrated. And do not lose heart. The trust in Him, this God who sees everything from its beginning to its end and everything in between. And all of this is consecrated in order to bring about the plan that God had for you from the very beginning. To bring everything into your life at just the right time, at just the right measure, and in just the right way, as only a loving Father in heaven can do. And no matter how dark these days might be, it's God who brings light out of darkness, no matter how uh, miserable things might be at the, at the moment. God is one who is able to consecrate that and bring joy out of misery. This is a God who literally brings life from death. This is what he does. And these seasons of, of temptation that are so frustrating to us, he's using those, those temptations to make us wiser to the enemy and to our own sin and flesh. And these failures that you and I encounter as we stumble and fall down again, it's, it's so humiliating And that's exactly the purpose. They are meant to humble us, that we would look to him more frequently. These afflictions that we suffer that seem so utterly pointless to us, these are the very things that he uses that we would depend upon him more and more and more. And the sufferings that we endure, God says, these are his special prizes to produce character in his people, that that character would produce endurance, the very mark of his people who persevere by faith. God has created every season as beautiful for its time. That's why James one says, when these trials come, let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it run its course so that God can produce all this beautiful thing from you. He's testing your faith that you might succeed, that you might endure, that he can produce this steadfastness. He wants you to be complete so that you, you lack nothing. And you see what our text is showing us is that the perspective of faith is the perspective of time. And to see that our present sufferings, these present seasons, they must be seen in comparison to eternal glory. Romans 8, 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. You and I cannot see it. And that's why we trust God for it. That's why the psalm tells us to do the weight upon the Lord in this season. Because you see, there is a completeness to our salvation from beginning to end and everything in between. And God has ordained all of it. That's why Romans 8 says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he conforms to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he has called. Those he has called, he has justified. Those he has justified, he has glorified. From beginning to end, it's all of him that we can trust in Christ for all of it. He is the forerunner and the finisher of our faith. As we read earlier, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's Lord over everything, all of it. And all of it is beautiful, consecrated by him for our sanctification and for our glory. What a marvelous word this is for us. And it gives us perspective on time and seasons of life. But I've not told you the most amazing thing of all about time. And it's a reminder of the gospel itself, that it was the Lord himself who condescended to us. The eternal Son of God entered time. Galatians 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. You see, everything is in its right season. That means everything. That even applies to the Son of God, that there was a time for him to be born and take on our nature. There was a time for him to seek and to save the lost. There was a time for him to heal and a time for him to love. And this is why he took our nature upon himself. He was eternally divine, took our nature upon himself. And what's interesting is that we read in the Gospels of the earthly ministry of Christ and it shows us this self-consciousness of Christ. He knew exactly every season. He knew exactly every right moment. And again and again, we see this refrain where he would say, "My time has not yet come." Think of the wedding feast in Cana, and his mother involves him and says, "They run out of wine." And what does he say to her? "Why are you involving me? My time has not yet come." Or think, think of the time when the crowd wanted to stone. Jesus, but they were unable to do so because scripture tells us his time had not yet come. Or early on in the gospel of John, his brothers say to him, you need to go up to the feast to make a name for yourself. That's the way that it works. And Jesus says this in response, any time is good in your eyes, but my hour has not come. But when it comes to the eve of his passion, he says, my time has come. The time had come for him to suffer, an agonizing death on the cross, and to die for you and for me. And in John 12, 27, he prays this, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. His time had come. That's an amazing thought. That Christ, the eternal Son of God, the One who is sovereign over all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, the One who is Lord, sovereign Lord over all space, even over all time. Even for Him, there's this time for every season. And just as there was a time for Him to be born, there's a time for Him to die. A time to bless, but now it is a time for Him to be cursed. There was a time for Him to heal. Now it is the time for Him. To be afflicted. There was a time to rejoice, but now for him it is a time to weep. A time when he would comfort, but now it is a time for him to be condemned. It's the reason why Christ came. The whole purpose of his life, it was the right season. We should never ever think of Christ as the helpless. Victim. We should never, ever think of him being the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is exactly how it's supposed to turn out. All the ages turn upon this one moment in time, this hour of darkness. But it's not just an hour of darkness. It was an hour of darkness consecrated to be an hour of redemption. The cross is a time to die, but it's also a time to defeat sin. And to set sinners free so their sins would be forgiven of them and washed away. And just as there is a time to die, there's also a time to rise, and for Christ to gain the victory over death and to win eternal life. And just as there was a season for Christ to be humbled and to die, now there is a season for him to be exalted and to bring life and blessing. Now is the time for the great silencer of death to be silenced, and for the devoured to be devoured. And for captivity to be taken captive through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ who holds the keys to death in Hades. And it's Christ who gets the last word on your life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last and the beginning and the end. And time is now his servant. It's used by him. It bows before him so that all things work together for your good that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion so it will fulfill all of its purposes. And we do not always experience time that way, but we will. You just have to wait and see. Let us pray. A gracious God and Father, we bow before you as those that you have placed in this place that you have placed in this time, this time in the history of the world, but also this season of our own lives. And we bow before you, Father, we humble ourselves and ask that you would help us to look to Christ in faith and not to complain, not to doubt, nor to be disheartened, but to look to Christ who is sovereign and to believe that just as he can wash away our sins, so also he can consecrate these days and these moments. And so, Father, continue to strengthen us and help us to look to the things that last, not the things that will burn, to look to the things of eternity, not to the things that are momentary, and to trust you for all of them. We thank you for the peace that you give to us. Help us, Father, as we go from this place to think carefully upon these things and how dear they should be to us and how they apply to us.